Acts chapter 4. Well, I will encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 4. And if you would, find verse 23. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Appreciate so much you turned there with me. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, I know it will be on the screen uh, just behind me uh, for you to be able to follow with us as we read. I was thinking, as I was telling you earlier, about being scared to death 22-year-old, 27 years ago. Um, you know, even after all these years, I still realize the importance of the assignment and the holiness of the calling. And it still uh, puts that little bit of skip in my heart because I realize today, as I told them earlier, if you ever wonder what your preacher's thinking about on Saturday night before he goes to sleep, I guarantee he's thinking about two things. He's thinking about the two most important things under heaven, and that is God's word and God's people. And as we think about those things, we realize the importance of sharing something with you today. It's going to help you walk with God today. It's going to help you walk with God tomorrow. It's going to help you through the week ahead because as we'll find out today from what we'll share, if there's ever been a time in the history of the church that we need the power and the presence of God among us, it's the day that we live in now. When you read the book of Acts and you follow the history of the birth of the New Testament church that we're a part of today, you realize how miraculous and how powerful it is that God showed up the way he did, how he put things together the way he did, and how you and I are recipients of that today. How that after the ascension of Jesus in Acts chapter 1, they went and gathered together those 120 people and they gathered for a prayer meeting that lasted 10 days. 10 days of prayer, they called on God for the promise of the Comforter, and he was faithful to do that. 10 days later, on the 50th day after his crucifixion, the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God swept into that upper room, swept into that upper room and indwelled those believers. The same Spirit of God that indwelled those believers today is the same Spirit of God that and dwells believers now. And then we see what happened as Peter stood and preached some death Pentecost and 3,000 people were added to the church in one day. Boy, that'd be, a, that'd be a revival meeting, wouldn't it? 3,000 people added to the church and the church began with a bang, to say the least. They went forward from that place and they continued doing what they had always done. They continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine they didn't change their lifestyle they didn't change the way of doing things they just kept marching on with God in Acts chapter 3 Peter and John uh, going up to pray when they did they met a man who was sick and he needed some money to get to a doctor to get well but they were about to introduce him to the great physician when they told him they didn't have any money but what they did have is they had Jesus and we're just going to give you Jesus so we give you Jesus, and he said, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And this man walked for the very first time in his life. Well, when people get healed and people are made whole, a lot of folks get happy, but not everybody gets happy. And some folks were disappointed by that, and the Sanhedrin called them in, and they tried to threaten them, and they did everything under the sun to try to discourage them. And Peter and John remained faithful to that. Peter and John, standing before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4, verse 19, said these words. He said, We answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They couldn't quit talking about what they had seen and heard. Today we're going to talk about something that happened after that episode and something that happened when God's people after they were threatened what happened when they came together what happened when they went back to church a few years ago I read a book by Dr. Steve Gaines from Bellevue Baptist outside Memphis and Dr. Gaines of course I've always had a lot of respect for him and his ministry but when I saw the title of this book it really captured my attention it was entitled When God Comes to Church when I saw that, I thought, man, I need to read. So I began reading a little bit of it in the bookstore back in the old days when we could go to Lifeway and corrals. Y'all remember that? I don't know about y'all, but I miss Lifeway. I'm telling you, 2020 took a lot of things away from me, but Lifeway, they went too far with that one, right? 
Because for preachers, sometimes that was our stress reliever. We'd go to Lifeway and read something that might help us. So I began to read a little bit. As I read a little bit, I said, I got to take this with me. So I went to the and purchased it. As I read the entire book, I began to understand what he was talking about. He talked about when he was a student at Union University, he was a youth pastor at a local church in that area, and they were preparing for a revival meeting. As they prepared for the revival meeting, they had a meeting, of course, with the pastor and some of the deacons and the church leaders, and they began to talk about preparations for the meeting, which is very good, very important. And he listened as a young student pastor and a young college student, he listened as these people began to talk about all the people that they wanted to see show up and the things they wanted to see happen, and many of those were for great reasons. They wanted to see people come that didn't know Jesus. They wanted them to hear the gospel, wanted them to be convicted of their sin and repent and be born again. That's good stuff, amen? Wasn't anything wrong with what they were saying, but as he listened on further and further, he listened for just a while longer, and he made this statement to the group. He said, why don't we just pray that God shows up? Wow, I don't know about y'all, that's pretty profound. Because I've learned as a pastor over the years that the most important person to show up in this worship service today is not the pastor and it's not any of the people. But it is God himself meeting and even, you know, fancy word, tabernacling with his people. Well, he asked that and said, what if God shows up? Well, then that was the premise for the book. And he talks a lot about that because he said, in our culture today, we try to design a lot of things to get the attention of people instead of the attention of heaven. He said, worship services should not be designed to attract people, but to attract the manifest presence of God. And then in turn, God will attract the people. I really believe that still works. I believe it's true, and I believe it's something we can't miss. So as I read those things, and as I talked to you a little bit in our Wednesday night devotional about that online, I really stirred, and God stirred my heart through the rest of the week and began to put this thought in my mind, said, just what would happen if God really showed up and had his way in his church today? And I began to think about that, and I began to search the scriptures, and I of course, this passage is not new to you and it's not new to me, but there's some things God showed me in this passage that I've not ever seen before. So today, by the help of God, I want to speak to you on that subject today, the day when God came to church. If you found your place, Acts 4, 23, and you're physically able, stand with me as we read a passage together and see what the Word says to us. Acts chapter 4, verse 23, the Bible says these words. It said, in being let go... They went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said. Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stands and the rulers were gathered against them and against the Lord and his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Now focus your heart on verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray you'd help me, Father, to be faithful to proclaim to your people what you've shown me this week. And God, may we live differently as a result of being in your presence and hearing from your word. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The day that God came to church. When you read through this passage, you see some interesting things taking place. And you see what happens, and we'll talk a little bit more about past that, but I really wanted to stop there on verse 31 to emphasize to you what happens when God comes to church. 
Let's walk through the text together today and let's notice some things from the text, what happened with this assembly of people. Where would they go? What would they do when they were let go by the Sanhedrin after they had been threatened and told no more to preach in the name of Jesus? Well, notice first of all with me, if you will, the day that God came to church, there was a gathering of the saints. We see what took place there. It says after they were let go, they went to their own companions. Did you see that? It says they reported all that had been done to them, and when they heard that, they raised their voice to God, and they began to call on God. This gathering of people was typified by the fact that they were unified in heart. They had one heart, one purpose for everything that was going on around them. Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6, Paul says very clearly some things that go right along with that. He said to the Romans, he said, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul's saying the same things that Luke is talking to us about from Acts. He's saying, listen, these people were together and they were speaking with one mouth and they were thinking with one mind and they were living with one heart. That's amazing, isn't it? We don't find a whole lot of that in our culture today because everybody's got a preference. Everybody's got things that they'd like to see the way they want it done. And I told you, because of 27 years, I know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two. Preferences are everywhere. But I want you to know that these people were unified in heart around two things. They were unified in heart around the principle of the Word of God. Now, keep in mind what they had seen taking place thus far. They had seen God do a miraculous thing on the day of Pentecost. They had seen people healed who had never walked, and they had found themselves standing before the most powerful court in the land because of what they were doing for the glory of God. I like what Peter said to them in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, where he made it clear to the Sanhedrin that neither is there any other or no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He made it very clear that only the name of Jesus was the way people got to heaven. But these people are unified in principle because they have experienced life together, they've experienced being threatened together, and now they've come together to worship together. They weren't just unified in principle, but they were also unified in purpose. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know one of the greatest things any person, any Christian, any family, any church can ever understand is what our eternal purpose is. Our purpose is not what makes us comfortable. Our purpose is not what makes us happy. I've heard people say this all the time. I just want to be happy. Well, happiness comes and goes. Happiness is based on happenings. You can be happy one minute. You can be sad the next. But see, what Jesus came to give us was far greater than that. He didn't just come to give us happiness. He came to give us peace. And the peace is this. Peace is not just what happens to us, but peace is based on the abiding presence and the indwelling of God in our life. And regardless of what's happening to us, we can still be at peace when He's the Lord of our life. Amen? I believe that with all of my heart. See, when we understand our purpose is not what makes us happy, not what makes us comfortable, because I've told you there is no growth in the comfort zone and there is no comfort in the growth zone. If you're comfortable, you're not growing. If you're growing, you're going to be uncomfortable. And I believe that with all of my heart. I can remember, you know, when I was a youngster and I'd go pull out a pair of pants out of my drawer, and I always used to like it when they got too little. Y'all remember that? That meant I was growing. I was going to go get me a new pair of rustlers. Y'all ever have rustler jeans? That's all my daddy'd buy. They had them at Sky City, and they were cheap. They'd stand up by themselves on the wall. I'm telling you, you didn't need no help, didn't need no starch. You'd have to wash them a half a dozen times just to get to where you could wear them. But I remember thinking, boy, I outgrew these pants, fit to get some new pants. And as I got older, it wasn't fun when they didn't fit anymore, right? So it can be very different, very different for that. But I want you to know our importance is to be, our purpose is, is to be faithful on mission with God and to have one heart one mind and one mouth. When, when we sing songs here, Marty's got us singing, oh, you are God alone. Everybody's singing the same song. We're reading the same words. But what would happen if we all just picked out one and started singing what we wanted, even if it wasn't the one the leader was leading us to sing? Wouldn't sound very good, would it? 
We have to be unified with one heart, one mind, one mouth, one purpose. So they were unified in heart. But notice something else about this gathering. Not only was it about their unity of heart, but they also appealed to heaven. See, they came together. They went and got back around their own people, people they had things in common with. And what was most common was is their relationship with God. But as they appealed to heaven, they appealed to God on the basis of several things. The first thing they appealed to him was on the basis of God's sovereignty. See that in verse 24. It says they raised their voices uh, to, to God and they said this, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. They're saying you are the divine creator and we have no other person or no other place we can appeal to for help today because you are Lord of everything. Church, it'd do us good today to remember that because we're not careful. We'll pay too much attention to what the reporter says. We'll pay too much attention to what social media says and we won't pay any attention to what the Lord of all glory, the creator and master of the universe has to say because the voice of the world is so loud in our ears that there's so much static that we can't hear God anymore. Amen? You know, there's some folks that come to church, and listen, I've witnessed it a lot over my time. They come to church, and they're ready to go when they get there. I mean, anything over five minutes, and they're just all flustered because they've got places to go, people have seen things to do. When what we really need to do is take some time to stop and just hear from the Word of God and hear from the Son of God and let God's Word permeate into our soul and remind us that He is still sovereign over all creation. Hear me. Regardless of what happens with this election, regardless of what happens in the White House, the Congress, the Senate, the House of Representatives, regardless of what happens in any individual state, any individual community, I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, God will never compromise his sovereignty one little bit to what fits this world. He is still going to accomplish his purpose regardless of who's elected. Regardless. We need to remember that because if we're not careful, it's easy to forget. God is sovereign. They appealed based on his sovereignty, but they also appealed to heaven based on God's scripture. Look at that in verse 25, verse 26. What do they do? Well, they began to quote the word of God. They quoted from Psalm chapter 2 as David wrote many, many years before, and they appealed to God based on what his word says. Let me just ask you a quick question now, okay? Do you really believe this word is true? Do you believe without a doubt that it has zero error and is 100% reliable? I do too, and, and if you didn't answer it, I know you meant to. So, okay, we all know that it is God's Word. It's true. It's reliable. We can base not only this life but our eternity on the Word of God, every bit of it. So what did they do? They appealed to the Word of God. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why it's important that you spend time with this book. This is why it's important that you even commit portions of it to your memory. I can remember having to learn the preamble for memory. In eighth grade civics, the great Coach Rush Probst was my civics teacher. Y'all know I learned a lot. Amen. Ken's up there. You're about to shout. Amen. No, no, you know I learned a bunch, amen? So the preamble, that's about all I remember. And five-question pop quizzes, you remember that? When he got bored, didn't know what else to do. But yeah, I remember that so well. And I remember if I didn't learn the preamble, I was going to get a bad grade. I remember having to memorize several things. But when it comes to the Word of God, I would never tell you you have to memorize the whole book of Hebrews. I would never tell you you had to memorize anything of length, but I would say this to you. If it matters to you, you'll spend some time with it. You'll commit it to memory because here's what's going to happen. Our enemy, the devil, doesn't wait till you get to church with your Bible under your arm to attack you. He likes to attack you when you are far removed from any influence of the Word of God, the Son of God, or even the people of God. But here's one thing he underestimates. is when I take this Word and I begin to read this Word, and it begins to permeate my soul and take root in my heart, do you know what happens? I begin to memorize it. 
And then as I memorize these words, when he shows up, when I'm not in the house of God, I'm not around the people of God, and I don't even have a copy of the word of God, when he shows up in those times, guess what? He's still in trouble because I've got all six bullets of my chamber loaded with the word of God, and I can fight him with the scripture. Isn't that what Jesus did? Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, he didn't pull out a scroll, the book of Deuteronomy. No, he is the living word. But he quoted three times from the book of Deuteronomy and he fought the devil with scripture. That is the example for you and I today. You cannot fight him in your own strength. You're far too weak. You cannot win in your own strength. There's no victory for you. But when you appeal to the word of God, the word of God is the only weapon you need to defend yourself against the enemy. Amen? I believe that. They appealed on the basis of God's scripture, but I like this. They appealed on the basis of God's Son. <laughs> oh, look there in verse 27. For truly against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. You know what he said? You set him apart for this purpose, that he might be the redeemer of all mankind. Your Son, the glorious Son of God, who dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Right here, this is you, and this is what he did. He said, but Herod and Pontius Pilate with all the Gentiles, they gathered together against him, but what? They did a lot of evil to him, but they did whatever your hand and your purpose before determined before to be done what's that talking about friend scripture teaches us about God's sovereignty but it also talks about man's free will some people believe they don't coexist but they do God is sovereign you do have a free will God had a perfect sovereign plan for the redemption of mankind and even though people like Herod and Pontius Pilate thought they were taking him to the cross and killing him and doing away with God's son all they did was being instruments to be used to fulfill the perfect plan of eternal salvation glory to God that even in their wickedness the glory of God is revealed through his sovereignty of what he did with his son these people knew that and they were appealing to heaven on the basis of those things but notice with me if you will in verse 29 they were also pleading for power notice what happened now Lord look on their threats you ever done this Lord you know what's going on here Lord you know what pressure I'm under Lord you know what stresses are against us but Lord, even with all that going on, would you just do this? Would you grant to your servants with all boldness that we may speak your word? Oh, friend, hear me today. If there's ever been a day you need to pray for those who've been called by God to proclaim the word of God in pulpits and street corners and wherever else through this country and across this land, you really need to pray for that. But let me say this. But we all need to pray for one another because, listen, all of you, if you're a child of God, you're a minister of the gospel. You go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I didn't sign up for that. I signed up to go to heaven. Yes, go to heaven, have my sins forgiven. But I did not sign up to be a minister. That's what you for. I wish it was that easy. But if you're a child of God, you've been called to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what? And you got a pulpit. Did you know that? Wherever you are, wherever you are, whatever you do for a living, wherever you live, you've got a pulpit, platform. It's kind of like in, in my, my neighborhood where I live. I live, in, I live over there with, with the, the best. I, I live like Jimmy Bragg and Miss Sonia. i got the best neighbors. I really do. But you know what? I want to be a good neighbor. You know what I try to do my, for my neighbors? We got a lot of leaves in our neighborhood, don't we, Jim? Jim, we got a lot of leaves. Jim, yeah, we got a lot of leaves. We got more leaves. I call it leaf mageddon. That's what I got. And if if left gone too long, my streets will look like you won't even be able to see the asphalt. So now that I've become, uh, now that I've stepped over to the Kubota line, yeah, yeah, boy. So I keep my streets cleared off, Marty. I mean, I told I had all the wind trouble. I had all the streets cleared yesterday. But you know one thing I don't like about that Kubota? It's because it's orange and black. Same colors as Alexandria. I asked the old boy down there, I said, can I get that in a different color? 
<laughs> but anyhow, but I'm telling you, I keep that street clean. You know, I mean, just clear it up, just clear it up, clear it up. Why? Because it's important that we that we be faithful to what God has called us to do and be servants of the Most High God and be faithful to the things He's leading us to do and be a blessing to those around us and may what God has done in us infect and impact those around us for His glory. It's very important. They were calling on God, said, listen, help us to speak Your Word. And here's what He says, not just that, but we want to do this for Your glory. It's not just about the empowerment that we need from you. It's about the exaltation of the Son of God. He said, we want you to do this by stretching out your hand to heal. Anybody need to be healed today? It's not just physical healing, but you may need a heart healing today. He said that you would do this and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. He's saying, Lord, we want to do everything we do for your glory. We want Jesus to be glorified in everything that we do. We don't want this to be about us. We want it to be all about you. Oh, they had a plea for power. It reminds me of what happened in the book of Revelation chapter 3. John the Revelator is writing and Jesus is speaking. Jesus has spoke to seven churches. He's just finished speaking to the seventh church, Laodicea, which was a lukewarm church. It's a whole lot the culture we're living in today. But I'm telling you, this pandemic is really testing the lukewarmness of the church today. But he said to that church, he said, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but because you're neither one, I'll spew you out of my mouth. But even in your sinful state, he said, I still stand at the door and knock. He said, if you'll just open the door and let me in. He said, I won't force myself on you. I won't do anything. But if you'll let me in, then I'll dine with you. I'll bless you. And I'll use you. Could it be today that the Lord is speaking that same message to his church? He is saying to his church today, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking and I'm pleading for you to let me come in, but I can only come in if you open the door. I wonder how many of us today would be guilty of saying, I hear him knocking, but I'm too busy. I hear him knocking, but I got too many other people wanting my attention. Lord, I'd really like to let you in, but you're so powerful, you're so holy, and you're so righteous. If you came into this church, you might upset some folk. <laughs> that might be the best thing that ever happened, amen? That every church today would understand that Jesus is saying, I want to come in. I'm knocking, let me come in. Church, hear me today. We need to plead for power like these saints did and let him in. There was a gathering of the saints. Well, notice with me another truth today. There was also a visit with the saints. You know, verse 31 is where we left off. There was a visit with the saints. And I want you to notice the first few, few words of verse 31. And when they had prayed. You might want to put brackets around that. Highlight it, star it, whatever you want to. That's very important. And when they had prayed. See, there was a visit with the saints, but always remember this. Prayer precipitated the visit. Now, walk with me for a minute here. These people need God to show up. And they need God to show up so bad, they know if he doesn't, they're, they're toast. So what do they do? They don't just look around at each other and say, it'd be real nice if the Lord would show up. Uh, they don't call and ask for opinion polls or anything else. They go straight to their face and on their knees before God and they call on Him to do what only He can do. Imagine what might happen in churches all across America today if we would just simply call on God to do what He said He would do. Maybe it would be that He's not doing some things that we need Him to do because we've not opened the door and let Him in. Prayer precipitated the visit. Now hear me in this. There will never be any lasting, mighty work of God done in any person's life, any family's home, or any church, any community, any state, any country, any nation, unless there is prayer precipitating the visitation of God. What happened, though? 
when they did pray, did he show up? And when he did show up, he didn't show up quietly. He didn't show up trying not to disturb their order of service. He showed up in a very powerful way. And that's what I want you to notice is not just that prayer precipitated the visit, but power poured from the visit. It didn't sprinkle, it poured. Oh, we, hear, we sing the old song, Showers of Blessing. Y'all probably remember that. Mercy drops round us are falling. Oh, but for the showers we plead. I don't know about you. I'm certainly not praying for mercy drops. I'm not even praying for showers. I'm praying for a downpour. I'm praying for God to show up in such a way that it cannot be one bit mixed up. It cannot be explained by human ways. But that when he shows up, it is a downpour of his glory among his people that can only be explained as that God just showed up. So what does verse 31 teach us about how power flowed from this visit? Walk with me through it. The first place he displayed his power was over nature. What happened? And the place where they were gathered was shaken. When you read that, I know some people say, come on, man, do you really believe that? Do you really believe these people just gathered together and prayed and that some way there was a literal earthquake that took place? Well, I'm sure we could uh, go back and get seismological records and maybe we could explain it through something else, but uh, God certainly didn't have anything to do with that. And let me back you up and remind you, He's sovereign over all creation. If there's an earthquake somewhere in the world today, if there's a hurricane somewhere in the world today, we haven't had many of them lately, I mean, if there's anything like that going on, He's still sovereign over all that creation. Say, well, Brandon, if you will believe that there was an earthquake, the ground shook in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, then you will probably believe something as silly as the fact that Moses led the children of Israel across the Red Sea on dry ground. Yep. You will probably believe something as silly as that Joshua led the people to walk around the walls of Jericho once a day for six days in silence. And on the seventh day, he walked around seven times. And after they finished the seventh time around, they shouted and the walls came tumbling down. You'd probably believe that too, wouldn't you? Yep, sure would. Well, Brent, if you would believe that, you would probably believe that in Acts chapter 16, where it says that Paul and Silas were cast down into the Philippian jail at midnight, instead of whining and complaining, they started praising God, and God heard the echoes of their pray prayers and praise, and that from heaven he shook the ground in Philippi to the point that all the chains fell off, the gates opened, and they were set free. You'd probably believe that they even stayed in the jail and witnessed to the jailer who was about to take his own life, and that they they went to his house and led his whole family to Jesus. Yeah, I'd believe every bit of that. Do you know why? Because I believe every bit of the word of God to be 100% correct and the reason the ground shook was to show that he was sovereign over all creation and he had heard his people call on his name. Not only was he pouring power over nature, but he also poured power over the church. Look there, man, this is good stuff right here. This is worth your trip to church today. Look here. So the place where they were gathered was shaken, listen, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's just park out there for a minute, okay? Y'all ain't in a hurry, are you? I done preached this one time, and I'll preach it three or four more times because it's God's Word. Look in here. Here's what, listen. When he said they were filled with the Holy Spirit, it's very significant. Because if you're going to do anything of lasting significance for the glory of God, you're going to have to be a man or woman filled with the Spirit of God. We say, no, no, wait, wait a minute, preacher. Now you told me that in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit indwelled those believers, that that same Spirit indwells believers today. So if He's indwelled me, then I just stay full all the time because of His indwelling. Wrong. The only way you're going to understand this is to understand the difference between indwelling and filling. The indwelling takes place once for all. You only get indwelt once. Here's what I believe the Word of God teaches. That the very moment that a sinner, a lost sinner, calls on the name of Jesus to save them from their sins, repents of their sins, and trusts Jesus once and for all as their one and only Savior and becomes a child of God and is truly born again, 
The moment they become a new born-again believer, the Spirit of God immediately takes up residence within that person's heart and life, and he lives there for the rest of their days all the way till you get to heaven. That's the indwelling. But the filling is much different. See, the indwelling takes place once for your lifetime, but the filling is something you need all the time. See, here's the reason. It's because we leak. We got holes in us. The enemy's popped us a time or two. He's got holes in us. And let me just say this to you to help you. You can go from full to empty real fast. There's no guarantee on miles per gallon. See, you can leave here today. Man, you can be hot-hearted, full of the Spirit of God. You can leave here today. Man, man, today was a glorious day I heard from heaven. Man, God shook the ground in those days in the book of Acts, and God's shaking people today. He's shaking me, and we're going to go shake the world for the glory of God. And you can pull right out of this parking lot, and you can go up here and make you a ride. You can go down through town and you say, boys and girls, daddy's so happy today. We're taking home a bucket of chicken from Jack's today. Woo, we're going to have some biscuits. We're going to have chicken. If you like, my, my girls don't like chicken with bones. I didn't get a choice when I was growing up, amen? Either chicken with bones or no chicken at all, so I chose chicken. But anyhow, so he just went on and you said, I'm going to get us a bucket of chicken. I'm going to get us some mashed potatoes and some green beans and I'm going to even spring for some macaroni and cheese. We're going to get biscuits. Everybody gets an apple pie on me. And you pull up in line there and they say these words. Sir, everybody wanted chicken today. And it's going to be about 12 minutes. W would that be okay? And you get one of those fancy Greek words. You get ticked off. Because you don't want to wait. You know, I, 12 minutes. That preacher preached 12 minutes over. And this is 12 minutes. I'm going to be 24 minutes behind. No, I ain't got 12 minutes. And you go from being full to empty. No longer than it takes to get from here to Jack's. I did something the other day I hadn't had to do since I moved back from Egypt. I, um, I had to wait at a red light that changed green and changed back red without me getting through it. I ain't had to do that in Alabama. I don't know what's happening. We backsliding. I used to have to do that all the time over there. I learned a lot about patience and all that kind of stuff, and I don't ever ask God to teach you that because he will. But what I'm saying to you is simply this. Understand that as a child of God, yes, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. He leads and guides in truth. He instructs us, and he's our ever-present help in time of need. He's our comforter. But your responsibility to stay full of the Spirit of God, it can happen that quick. So what these guys knew was this. They knew that they needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and God poured power over their visit because he poured power over the church. Listen here. Now the church is ready to go do what God called us to do. And he also did this. He poured power over their fears. Here's where it says, they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now how did they do that? Because they were filled with the Spirit. Before I ever walked to the platform, I told you, it's been a lot of years now, but I've learned this. I don't ever walk to this platform thinking, boy, I got this figured out. I got this down pat. Man, I tell you what, I, I, I got it. No, no, through the week and even the moments before I walk to this platform, here's the things I always say to God every time. Been doing this for years. I say, God, I quote Psalm 1914 in my heart to God. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight. Oh, God, my strength and my redeemer. And then I quote what I learned from Adrian. Adrian said, son, remember when pride walks on the platform, God walks on. Can't walk on that platform without you. And then I quote what I learned from Stephen Smith in his book, Dying to Preach. He said, The pulpit is a place for the preacher to die so others can live. Do you know why I walk here today? I don't walk here to exalt myself. I don't stand here to exalt myself. I literally came here to die to myself so people can see a risen Savior and they can live forever. That's, that's why we're here. That's what this church was all about. They had power over their fears because now they were filled with the Holy Spirit and now they could speak the word with boldness. I can't speak the word with boldness in and of myself. I need the constant filling of the Spirit of God in order to be faithful. 
And then notice with me something that happened after a vision. Not only power poor from a vision, but humility prevailed after a vision. Do you, let me ask you, here's a quick question. Answer to yourself, okay? Does anybody like being around proud, arrogant, self-righteous people? Does anybody, would you admit that you like being around that type of person? Okay, thank you, because I'm, please tell me. But you know what we do? We enjoy being around people who are humble, don't we? We really do. We enjoy being around people who add to our life and don't take away from our life. People who give energy to us and not suck the life out of us, don't y'all? And I don't know what you want to be around, but I really pray that when my days are over, that some way, somehow, that my lasting days can be remembered. You know what? He added to my life. He encouraged me. He humbly walked with God. And those things, well, that draws people. What discourages people is proud and arrogance and self-righteous. Nobody wants to be around that. There's plenty of that to go around. But especially when it comes to the people of God, humility is very, very important. So what happened? Let's see how humility prevailed. Walk with me. Verse 32. They demonstrated total surrender. Look here. Now when the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Oh, there it is again. Listen here. Look what happened. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. They weren't bragging about what they had. They weren't boasting about what they had you didn't have or what they wanted that you didn't have or what they was going to go get you. They didn't do any of that kind of stuff. They were totally surrendered. And notice verse 33. They lived lives of true substance. This wasn't fake or phony. Look at verse 33. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon him. Listen, when God comes to church, there is great grace upon all the people. The grace of God prevails. I'm telling you, nobody's all, no big eyes and little youths, no big shots and little squirts. I mean, everybody is realizing that if it wasn't for the grace of God, they could not do it. And then notice what happened with their timely sacrifice. Look at verse 34. Boy, this is humility if I've ever seen it. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed each one as everyone had need. Now let's stop right there. Somebody will go home today. What would y'all talk about in church today? Preacher said, if I didn't sell my house, I don't love Jesus. If I, I didn't get rid of it, I just don't know. That's not what preacher says at all. But what I'm wanting you to see is the motive behind what they did. There was such a spirit of humility that they demonstrated true substance. They weren't playing church. They weren't going through the motions. They had just been in the presence of the power of God, and they couldn't get over it. What kind of effect did it have? Notice this guy they named him. This translation calls him Joseph, but in some translations he's called Joseph, and it's not the earthly father of Jesus, because it tells us that's his name, but he also had another name that the apostles gave him. They gave him this name because of his character and because of his contribution. It says his name was Barnabas. You've heard of him before, haven't you? You'll hear a lot more about him as you read through Acts. This is the first time we hear of him, and here's what we find. Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, was a Levite from the country of Cyprus. And listen what he did. Having land, he sold it. He brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. See, once again, what I want you to see is, is it's not about the property, and it's not about anything else other than this, is what did he do with what God had entrusted to him? Now, let's back up. When we talk about the word stewardship, a lot of people draw up. But listen, stewardship has more to do with what you will put in the offering bucket today. Stewardship has to do with the totality of your Christian life. The totality of your journey to Jesus. And Barnabas, yes, was he sacrificial in what he gave 
financially that day? Absolutely. But if you only see that, you miss the whole picture. Because what he laid before those apostles' feet was not just the price of some property. He laid out his life. Hear, hear me today. If we're going to be people of sacrifice, we have to be willing to give our total life for the gospel. And I know you're thinking, wait a minute. You're hearing God blessed America. That'll never be a problem. I read, I read a account of a pastor friend of mine this week was talking about some missionaries that he's worked with in a foreign country that that missionary was standing with his only son said if you don't denounce Christ we're going to start with your son and then we're going to get you they made him you but 2020 has brought a lot of things I never thought I'd see happen God only knows if the Lord Jesus tears his coming what we might see in the coming days that's why it's important for God to come to church that's why it's important for you to experience his power and to be filled with his spirit because what happens your challenge with the reality if you don't deny Christ it costs you even your life Jim Elliott killed on the mission field in 1950 if I'm not mistaken and this is not a quote it's just the gist of what he said he said you got anything last to say he said you're about to take a life away from me that I cannot keep Bestow a life upon me I do not deserve. Friend, that's eternal focus. That's what happens when God comes to church. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we are very grateful for your word today. Very grateful for the effects of your Father, I have no idea what needs are among your people today, what specific needs might be, but Father, I know in common we all have this need. We need your presence and power filling in our life. Father, I lift my hearts and hands and head toward heaven to say as much as any person in this room, I need that today. Father, I can't stand against the challenges that I face, nor can any man or woman that's been born again by your precious power, spirit, and blood. None of us can stand against the challenges that we face unless we're filled with your spirit. Help us to leave here full today and help us to guard it and not allow the enemy to steal it or cause us to leave real quick God help us to set guards around our heart because your word tells us that out of our heart flow the issues of life and God help us to make a favorable and positive impact on those around us Father only eternity will reveal those that were influenced and impacted by Barnabas's act of generosity and surrender that day God, help us to have that same kind of effect on those around us. And Lord, we're going to give you praise for what you do. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, I want you to look this way a minute or two before we dismiss just real quickly. Uh, a couple of things are very important. Uh, moving forward, I want you to think about as you leave today. Think about all those people that stood around as they watched Barnabas 
because he literally just laid his whole life out there. It had to affect those around him because when you read on in chapter 4, or you're going to read in chapter 5, you're going to read about some folks that lied and God dealt severely with them. And you're going to read through the rest of the book of Acts and you're going to see how the influence of Barnabas lived on. And can I tell you this? His influence still touches my life today. And I pray touches yours. Here's what I want you to leave thinking about because here's always my goal. It's not that you just come to church, but that by being here and by hearing from God, you could go out there and be different. That it would affect your life this week. Here's how I pray it affects your life today is that when you leave here, you pray that you can go be a Barnabas to somebody. Not only that you'd be a person of sacrifice, but that your sacrifice would influence others. It's very important. The generations that follow us are counting on somebody to show them the way. And I'm counting on you, and so is our Lord. So let's do that. On your way out today, they're offering buckets at both doors. Uh, I'm grateful to God for your faithfulness thus far. Let's don't back up, slack up, or pack up now. Let's keep being faithful. We've got a mission ahead of us. Don't forget our partners in Utah, the Waking City envelopes are in the, um, in the pews also. If you need to pick up devotional books, they're in the Welcome Center. But most of all, let's just leave here and go be a Barnabas this week. Because when God came to church, it had a lasting effect on him and all those around him. Let's don't forget that, okay? I believe God's going to do some great things. Six o'clock Wednesday night. Let's stand together. Marty's going to sing us out. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. <clears throat> Victory in Jesus. Here we go.